0: All right, well, Last week we talked about uh, judging, which is a very kind of hot topic, a hot button for those of us who are going to the streets and evangelizing. It's something we hear every time we go out there. You know, do not judge. I, mean, I even mentioned last time, we were at Daytona Beach one time and some guy said he thought it was part of the Ten Commandments. He really was serious. He thought it was one of the Ten Commandments. And, and uh, I kind of you know, chuckled at that because I, that's how bad it's gotten in society. The, the, the worst thing you could do is to judge somebody. And we talked about uh, different kinds of judgment. Now, what or some kinds of judgment we talked about last week that you're not supposed to be doing? Okay. John, what did you say? Oh, I'm sorry. Hypocritical judgment. Hypocritical judgment? Okay. Anybody else? That was one of them. So if, if you're doing something, obviously you shouldn't be sitting at all, but if you're doing something, you shouldn't be calling someone out on that very same thing. That's hypocritical judgment. Okay. So I think
1: this one probably it's appearance.
0: Yeah. yeah, judging according to appearance, very good. We got that from John seven twenty four. We looked at many different passages re- regarding this judgment issue, and um, but what's the kind of judgment we should do?
2: Right.
0: Righteous judgment, right? Uh, when someone says something that comes out of their mouth, can we judge that? Because out of their mouth comes what? The flow of the heart. So we're allowed to judge out of someone's mouth, and um, it's. Is final, this is something that Brother Kevin brought up at the very end the last week, is is final judgment in our hands? Are we saying that, if we say to someone, you're going to hell, are we saying they're definitely going there? No. No, what we mean when we're saying that is that you're, right now in your current state, you're on your way to hell. And we, sometimes we have to clarify it to make sure they understand, that we're communicating properly with them, they understand what we're saying. And uh, so in, in Matthew 7, 1-5, Jesus is mostly concerned with hypocritical judgment. We talked about the beam being in someone's eye. What was that little thing that was in someone else's eye, too? Splinter. Spec- splinter. splinter can be very irritable and, and very difficult, difficult to get. It's almost like you feel like I'm performing surgery sometimes when I'm getting a splinter out of one of my children's hands. So especially they to tell me about it right away. You're taking a needle, you're taking the alcohol, and you're kind of like a little surgeon getting it out. But can I get a, a splinter out of my children's uh, finger if my eyes aren't working properly? If I have something blocking my eyes? No, like a big two by four sticking in my eyes. I can't do it. I can't even get close enough from the, this tiny little splinter out, and that's what we're dealing with. When, when we're trying to help a brother or sister in Christ, or help someone who is a lost sinner see their sin, we have to make sure we're seeing clearly ourselves. Yes.
3: I got a question. Yeah. Okay. In reality, it's the Word of God that is judging. Mm -hmm. You're simply speaking the Word of God, and the Word of God is judging. Now, if you say to a person. The Word of God God says that adultery is a sin, Uh and those who commit it are sinning. That's the Word of God speaking. But if you say to the person, you're an adulteress, and you better stop doing that or else you're going to hell. Uh Is that correct in that context, or is the previous the really way to go? In other words, put the wrap, so to speak, on the Word of God. It's not really you, but the Word of God is saying that, so... I happen to believe it, but I didn't make it up. You
0: know? Well, I think they're both right. I don't think either one, I think it's an either-or there. I mean, that, you, can, you can, just because the Bible says, I mean, you have to say, the Bible says, you're an adulterer, an adulterer, going to hell. You can say, listen, you're an adulterer, you need to stop it. You're going to go to hell. Right. Yeah, I think both are, are a correct way of doing it. Now, an incorrect way of doing it would be to assume that someone's in adultery, they haven't professed it, you don't know for sure, and say, you're an adulterer, you're going to hell. That's judgment according to your parents. Maybe you see them walking around with somebody they don't have wedding rings on, or maybe one of them has a wedding ring on, the other one doesn't. You're assuming it's adultery, and maybe they're really married. You know, so that that would be assuming that, and that would be unrighteous judgment. Or if you're an adultery yourself and you're calling them out on it, that'd be hypocritical judgment. So those two judgments are wrong. But to tell someone they're going to hell is not wrong, and to say that you're you adultery, you're going to hell is not wrong. Now that and that's when they'll call you out on judging. That's what the Bible is referring to. So the judging itself is not wrong, or the first option you gave, Bill, of saying that the Bible says this, this is what the Bible says. That's kind of a more uh, uh, relaxed way of saying it, or a more uh, standoffish way of saying it. Uh, and there's times we'll do that as well. I mean, when I'm speaking to uh, someone who's older than me and my family, like my grandfather or my father, I'll take a more kind of, I guess, respectful approach. I guess you can say with that and say, "Listen, you know, grandfather. You know, I, I know you're you're older than me, and I'll kind of, you know, soften it up a little bit because I know." He'll receive it a little better if I do it that way than if I do it the other way. So, but but when we're speaking to people, we're not obligated to say it that way every single time. We must let the Lord lead us, the Spirit lead us. Right. Uh, but some people need a, need a stronger rebuke than other people do. That's right. But we can't like we talked about it many times. We can't stay in this rebuke mode. We're constantly rebuking people at all times and being as hard as we possibly can at all times. Mm-hmm. We must let the Spirit lead us. Remember to be tender. Remember to be tough. You know, so we see both in the Bible. So it's going to be situation by situation. That was a good question. And we also talked about casting pearls before swine and what that means, and and, and dogs uh, t- turning and uh, and don't give your what is holy to dogs. And um, what what are, the, what are the two options I gave last week? Can someone tell me what one of the options were in regard to interpreting that passage, that verse, uh, Matthew seven six. What, what was holy given to dogs is, is the Jews would have understood that to be the holy food that's brought to the priest. They were to eat that. They were to take that and sacrifice to the Lord and eat part of that. They weren't to throw that out to dogs who were scavengers. They were wild animals. They weren't clean out. They're considered unclean animals. You don't task what is holy to dogs. And you also don't throw pearls to swine. Now, little pearls, the tiny pearls, they look just like the food that pigs would eat. So sometimes they would cast at them. And what's a, what's a pig going to do when they go to eat this food? I think it's food. And they find out it's not food. A wild pig, they're gonna get angry, and that turn and tear you to pieces. And wild pigs, I've, I've studied with myself. They're pretty nasty. They're, they have a vicious bite, and you don't want to be around them. Uh, they most times, terrible too. Yeah, I've killed them. Yeah, most yeah. times people are up a tree if they see one of those things coming, man, because I don't want that thing to bite them. Uh, so what we saw from this verse is what Jesus is trying to articulate here is that you need to determine what someone needs to hear from you by their condition. Okay, just like you don't give what is holy to dogs. Not fit for them. You don't give pearls to swine because of what will happen in return, and they're supposed to be eating pearls in the first place. Therefore, when you're talking to someone about the truth, if they're humble, you give them grace. If they're prideful, you give them the law. You give them judgment. You give them sin. You give them hell. If they're broken, they know they're a sinner in need of a Savior. You give them grace, mercy, and the cross. So it's all about you determining, you're making a judgment call, as Jesus is talking about here, you're determining what a person needs. According to the situation, so that was one of the the interp- I think that's probably the proper interpretation of this passage. In the past, I've made believe that that the, the, the those dogs and the swine are actually just reprobates, and you don't give them the gospel because reprobates will just they won't do anything good with it. And that, that's a it's a point. I mean, I think that's true. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here.
1: The example you shared yesterday of yeah. the, when you were preaching, or, or a brother was preaching, and the one came and took the Bible and started ripping it out. Right. You don't give the holy you know the holy Bible to. God's word to someone that's just going to right. it up, and right. well, that was that was a good example. There. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll
0: share it for people who weren't here that I was preaching at East Carolina University back in, um, I think it was about two thousand six, and I was preaching, and my, we had you know our our book bags with our tracks and Bibles behind me while I was preaching. This guy was off in business, and I was preaching, and he would say something that was weird, didn't really make much sense, and then he was pacing back and forth, mumbling under his breath. I could just sense there was something demonic going on over there, and all of a sudden. As I'm preaching, he started charging at me. I'm like, oh, I'm trying to prepare myself for the worst here. And he passes right by me, grabs my friend's Bible, runs off with, rips it up in pieces. He's running away, throws it in the air, Sorry. ripping it up in pieces. And uh, you know that's kind of like what the a, a reprobate will do, or someone who's demonically possessed. I wouldn't give that guy mm-hmm. the gospel, the good news. I'd give him the hard news, or right, if he's demonically possessed, drive the demon out of him, mm-hmm. so he can receive the, uh, the gospel. What
2: it means.
0: Yeah, so. That would be a good example. But I I think verse 6 is saying what the the first interpretation I just gave was. I don't think it's saying anything about reprobates, although I think that's a a good point. That's a biblical point as well. Okay, so let's let's get into this week. Uh, We're going to go through Matthew uh, chapter 7, verses 7 through 20. All right. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by the, your, their fruits, you will know them. Okay, so we have in, in verse 7 and 8, we have Jesus once again getting back to this issue of prayer, of asking, of seeking, of knocking. And in verse 8, we have in verse 7 and 8, we have some conditional statements made here. Now, these aren't unconditional statements. It doesn't mean that anything you ask Jesus for, he's obligated to give it to you, or that he's going to give it to you doesn't mean that everything you knock for or or seek to find that God's going to give it to you. So we can't take verse 7 and 8, pull it out of the Bible, extract it from the rest of Scripture, and say this is what it says. Okay, so I want to take you to some passages here to talk about prayer. And I think one thing Jesus is getting at here by making these statements is persistence in prayer. Okay? And let's, let's look at some situations. Let's look at Luke chapter... Let's look at Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. Matthew 15... 21-20, 21-20, and we have this Gentile woman, and we know that Jesus came to Jews, he didn't come for the Gentiles, uh, although he wants all Gentiles to be saved, but he himself did not come to be a minister to the Gentiles, every once in a while throughout his ministry a Gentile would appear and he would minister to him, he would not just cast him away, but we have here a Gentile woman being persistent, Matthew chapter 15, verse 21, the Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, the woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, Not a word. The disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And, he, and she said, Yes, Lord, and even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the minister's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed in that very hour. So we have this woman persisting with Jesus, not giving up, almost like not letting him go. You know, kind of like uh, Jacob, before he was his name was changed to Israel, not letting... God go, not letting Jesus go until he blessed him, until he touched him, he touched his hip sock, and he walked around the limb the rest of his life. He never, never was the same again. And this woman, she wouldn't let go of Jesus. Even after he said, called her a little dog, she still humbled herself and would not let go of him. And, and, he, and he blessed her in return. So I think what we see here in Matthew 7, 7 8, we have Jesus uh, talking about persistence in prayer, seeking, knocking, not giving up. Let's go to Luke chapter 11. Uh, verses 5 through 8. And we have the parable here of a man who comes to his friend in the middle of the night. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse verse 5. And he, Jesus, said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. And I say to you, though he will not rise and give them him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So if a man who will rise after persistence, not because he is his friend, it's because he is bothering him, will arise and give him the bread he needs, how much more will God, who loves his children, who cares for them, will give to those who are persistent in prayer? Of course, if it's his will. Okay. And then one more I want to share with you is uh, the persistent widow in Luke chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 1. So we see this throughout the scriptures of this persistence with God in prayer, not giving up, not praying just one time and saying, well, God, I guess he wouldn't want to answer, or God's not answering my prayer and having to complain against God. But being persistent with God, he expects you to do this. So Luke chapter 18, and starting in verse 1. Uh, Then he spoke a parable to them, that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Always ought to pray and not lose heart. Saying, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard men. So it's a wicked judge. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. That afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, and because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall, not God, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really, really find faith on the earth? Good question. When the Son of Man comes, will He really find that kind of faith on earth? faith that perseveres and persists with God in prayer regarding this issue. Um, now, there are conditions for praying to God. Uh, we have in James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, we have, you don't have to turn there, but we, what we have there is James saying that you do not have because you have not asked. And you ask and do not have because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasures. So when we come to God, first we must ask. That may be the reason we don't have. And if we do ask and we don't have, one of the reasons could be we're asking with the wrong motive, with the wrong heart towards God. And not only that, uh, we see that in, in prayer, um, that if, we have regarding, if we're regarding sin in our heart in prayer, God will not answer your prayers. And in fact, God, according, let's look at Psalm 66, 18. And if you don't feel like turning through the Bible, I'm going to turn through a couple of few verses here. You can just listen and jot down the references if you want. The Psalm 66, 18 um, says this. It says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. It doesn't mean that God actually literally doesn't hear you. No, I think it means he's putting a deaf ear toward you, so to speak. He's basically ignoring you. Because if God didn't hear you, I guess God wouldn't be omniscient, would he? He wouldn't know all things. He wouldn't know what you're saying. But he, not as if he doesn't hear in a way where someone's deaf and they can't hear. He's not hearing in a sense that he's ignoring you because you're regarding iniquity in your heart. And then we also have um, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 9. I'm going to say something similar here. And it says, uh, one who turns away his ear from hearing the law obviously obeying it too even his prayer is an abomination. So it turns away his ear from hearing the law. Even his prayer is an abomination. Uh, Isaiah 59 and verse 2 says something similar. It says, uh, we'll start in verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from God. And your sins have hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. He will not hear. And then one more, Micah chapter 3 and verse 4. And uh, I believe Micah is right after uh, Jonah here. Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, there we go. Micah 3, 4. Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not hear them he will even hide his face from them at that time because they have been evil in their deeds. So he will not hear them, he will hide his face from that time because they have been evil in their deeds. So obviously if someone is coming to God in repentance and a confession, he's going to hear that, they have a broken and contrite heart before him. Not by any means saying that, but if someone is considering themselves okay with God, yet they're regarding iniquity in their heart, they're not coming to God for a confession or repentance, and they're praying to God, God's not going to hear their prayers. God's going to ignore their prayers. In fact, there's oftentimes, I'll say this line in the open air, and I think it has a, an impact on people who are listening Because Here in America, we're taught, you know, just confess your sins to God every single day and keep on doing them, confess your sins, and it's okay, no big deal. So I tell people, listen, if you come to God tonight, those of you who are saying you're sinning every day, you come to God tonight, and you ask Him for forgiveness, but you're, you're planning in your heart to go out and do the same thing again, God will tell you no. He will tell you no. How do, we,
3: how do we know if we're hiding iniquity in our hearts? How would we know that?
0: Well, you should know your own heart. You should know if you're sinning or not. Doesn't
3: the Word say that, uh, that, that our heart is... is um, we can be fooled by our own heart?
0: Yeah, yeah, you can be fooled by your own heart, but that's why we need to stay close to the Lord, ask Him to examine us, ask Him to search our heart, see if there's anything wicked within us. So we have this humble position before God, asking Him to search it. If we're doing that continually... God surely wants us to know if we have sin in our life or not. So he'll reveal it to us, and then we get it out of our life.
3: What is the difference between sin and iniquity? I may be diverging a little bit right here. Are they one and the same? Yeah, that's right. They're one and the same.
0: So uh, we can be fooled, but if if we are being fooled, I I think that we've gotten off the path a little too far, and it's because we fooled ourselves first. Um, If we're staying before God in humility... On our knees, on our face before God, getting in our prayer closet daily. I don't think we're going to be fooled by sin. Now there are people who profess to be Christian. They'll just, they'll get into this pattern of sinning every day, and it's no big deal because they've been taught. And then they may be fooling themselves, thinking I'm not, you know, I'm not doing. I'm only doing this, that, this, and that wrong. They're not seeing the little things, like maybe being impatient with somebody, or uh, having unrighteous anger, or or being selfish. They might not see these little things because they're involved in these big things and not even taking care of those. But if our heart is... If we're staying before God, we're going to have a clean conscience before God. And if we're asking Him to show us our hearts, He'll reveal these things and we can get rid of them. Get them out of our lives. So that... that And just like I said, everything when it comes to... If, if someone has sin in their life, it's a symptom of a greater problem. They don't have a strong enough relationship with God. As they draw near to Him, they'll get that out of their lives. <clears throat> so if, if you so the conditions for prayer is you must ask you must ask with the right heart and if you're asking why you're regarding iniquity in your heart, God's not going to hear those are conditions for prayer okay, and uh, there's four responses God can give to prayer okay, one is yes and we usually like that answer it's because we feel like we're getting what we want and what we think we need and we think we're right about what we're praying about so yes is the answer, no, tough answer sometimes um and then there's, I can't hear you, which we just talked about. So yes, no, can't hear And then the hardest one, I think, in my personal life, has been wait. That's usually the most difficult one. And that's where it takes persistence in prayer. And maybe you don't hear God say wait, but you don't you don't hear a yes or a no, and you search your heart, and I'm not regarding iniquity in my heart, God, and you just need to persist in prayer. And that's what God expects you to do. So I think what we see here in verse seven a is is this issue of God trying to get us persistent in prayer, um, and uh, but you must be doing things the proper way, and um, you know there's there's also the throughout John fourteen and John fifteen and John sixteen what you see is Jesus telling the apostles that if you ask anything in my name it shall be given to you, okay. But what is the what is my name? Does it mean that if you invoke the name of Jesus at the very end of your prayer that he's definitely going to give it to you? Is that what my name means? Like, like Jesus? The name Jesus has some kind of magical powers that if I name the name Jesus, like some kind of Harry Potter, Abracadabra, Christianity? No. My name means asking in my character. Asking in my character. And let me just look at, I have a lot of verses that can that can talk about this. I'll give you some of the references. John 14, 13 through 14. And some of these I'll let you look up in your own time, your own study time. <clears> There's <throat> also John 15... Uh, verse 7 and 16. John 15, uh, verse 7. Let me read John 15, 7. It says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. So people will read the second part, if you ask what you desire, it shall be done for you. And they'll think, whatever I desire, that will do it for me. That's, that's a hard covenant towards God. You have to read the first part. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So if you're abiding in Christ, which abide means to remain, that's what the Greek word meno means there. It means to remain in him. And you, his words remain in you. You're hiding his word in your heart that you may not sin against him. That's the condition for, and, and then if you're doing that, guess what? You're going to have the same desires God has. And of course you'll get what you desire and you ask for because your desires are God's desires. You're on the same track he's on. If you come to God with some desires, like, you know, when I was a new believer, I was kind of new to these, this praying thing, and, and no one really instructed me about these issues, I'd, I'd say, well, I, I think that girl may be for me. I'm going to pray that God will make her you know, realize this, and she'll become my wife. Well, you, know, but I, you know, God will answer the desires of my heart. Uh, but I must be abiding in Him, and His words must be abiding in me. If I'm doing that, I'm living a holy life, then I'm meeting the proper requirements for coming to God in prayer. So there's, there's these conditions there. So you also have John 15, 16. And uh, this, is, this is him talking to the apostles here. A lot of Calvinists use this to, to back up the, the doctrine of unconditional election. But John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. That's the part they'll use. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And whenever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. So once again, but in my name here, it's talking about in my character. Not just invoking the name of Jesus into the prayer like we end prayers in Jesus name which is okay that's, that's biblical i believe but if that doesn't mean that your prayers aren't actually going to be answered it's a yes or that god's some kind of walmart in heaven that whatever you want oh, I want this I want that he'll just give it to you okay so we need to get that out of our, i think some Christians think that you get that out of our mindset here okay uh, and then and then we see in verses 9 and 10 uh jesus doing what he did with these other ones the persistent widow and stuff like that he's comparing what men do to what he will do now if if, you, if my son Malachi asked me for a piece of bread at the table, would I give him a stone? Of course not. And if, if my son asked me for a fish, will I give him a snake? No, and, and Jesus is even saying that people who are evil, people who are evil won't even do that. And if evil people won't give their son a stone when they want bread, or a snake if they, if they want fish, then what do you think God's going to do when his children come before him with the right heart, the right mindset, and they're asking him in prayer for something? He's going to answer. He's going to bless them. And in the Luke account of this this issue right here, which is Luke 11, uh, verses 11 through 13, it says he'll give you the Holy Spirit. Matthew doesn't say that, so there's an extension here of of not just giving the Holy Spirit, but giving all the good things to you that that he thinks are fit for you. And of course, if you're abiding in him as words are abiding in you, remaining in you, then you'll have the right desires for yourself, as well as those while you're praying. You have the the mind of Christ while you're praying. And in verse 12 uh, is is really what Jesus is summing up throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount. We talked about this. Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. So all the law and all the prophets are summed up in this one word. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And if people will do that, they won't disobey God. So it comes down to love. So it comes down to every time. And Jesus, oftentimes, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is correcting people because they think that they have it right, because they think they're following the jot and the tittle of the law, but they're not following it according to love. And that's why we see all throughout the, the New Testament, the Gospels, just healing people in the Sabbath, and they get angry about it. You know, that one man he healed, he, they, uh, in John chapter 5, he's walking through the temple and said, you're not going to be carrying your, your mat on the temple on the Sabbath. What are you doing? He said, well, the man who healed me. See, this guy's thinking, this guy's never healed anybody before. This guy healed me. He told me to carry his mat. He must have more authority than you do. So I'm going to listen to him, not to you. But see, they weren't following the law of love. Jesus was. That man could see through them. And even I remember, I remember later on when he, they brought his parents before him, he said, "Are you?" he was kind of mocking them. He said, are, are you their disciples, his disciples too? And they got real angry about that because they kept on asking him the same question over and over again. He said, what, well, do you want to be their disciples? So he kind of had a little bit of holy satire there when he was rebuking them for the way they were acting. When it was obvious to him, the person who had been healed, this man had to have been of God. He was lame for 38 years. And you're going to sit here and tell me because he... Breaks your interpretation of the law that he's not from God. So there must always be this law of love in our hearts when we're we're dealing with people. And then we have this, I think we're getting to now, we're getting to the end of the Sermon on the Mount here. We're getting to Jesus' altar call. You know, they didn't have altars, people came to the front and prayed a prayer, but this is Jesus' exhortation, his final exhortation to these people. They'd heard everything he said. He's, he's brought them under accountability to the law of those who say, Well, I've never committed adultery. Well, have you lusted before? I've never buried someone. Have you been angry with your brother without a cause? Have you called them an idiot? So Jesus is making them guilty. Now he's giving the exhortation do something about it. Because if you have good information, you have truth, but you do nothing with it, you're damning yourself worse. And that's where we get to talking about the narrow gate and the broad gate here. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in and buy it. Now the word narrow here, let me give you a more fuller definition of it, is the Greek word says it's it's so difficult that even a small man has a hard time passing through it. Okay? I want the children to listen to this part, okay? If you're you're a child, listen to this part. Only one person can pass through at a time. You're not going to get piggybacked on your parents into heaven. Can't piggyback right into them. You know, I picture this, I go to a I go to a gym and they have this, this turnstile thing. You have to swipe your card and turnstile. And only one person at a time can go through there. That's what this narrow gate is like. You can't get on your parents' back and, and piggyback into heaven. And they can't drag you through with them. You have to decide yourself to go through the narrow gate. Only one person at a time can go through. And you must have that card of Jesus to swipe in there, the blood of Jesus Christ. Otherwise you ain't Access denied, is what it's going to say. It's going to deny you. Okay, so there's a narrow gate. But wide is the gate, and broad is the way it leads to destruction, and there are many going by. So this broad way, and broad, the, the Greek word has, basically a saying, it has ample space, ample room, for everyone and anyone. There's plenty of room in hell. Plenty of room. You know, I, I've driven in lots of big cities, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles. They have these eight lanes on each side of the highway. still traffic jams. There's no traffic jams nowhere to hell. not one. There's no traffic jams in hell. They don't, God doesn't run out of room. He doesn't run out of room. He so says, okay, well, I don't have enough room for you so you can go to heaven now. No, it's a broad path. A broad gate, a wide gate. There's plenty of room. And if you choose not, There'll be room for you. There will be. God has plenty of space. That's a very sobering thing. I was studying this. I just began to think about that and meditate upon that. As you meditate upon that, only will it keep you on the right path, but also give you concern for others. You know, we have this great gift of eternal life. We worship God and spirit and truth. We sing songs to him. We pray to him. Read the Bible. Will we open our mouths to others? speak the truth to them? Or do we not care that this this path is so broad that they can fit in there? That's the question we must ask ourselves. Do we care about them? And there are many who go in by it. And you've got to see the distinction here between many and few. There's few who are saved and many who go to hell. So, according to Jesus, more people are going to hell than they're going to heaven. I think it was William, maybe it was William Booth, or it might have been Charles Spurgeon, I'm not sure who said this, but if men are going to go to hell, let them go, as we, are, like my children do to me, They have their hands and feet around my ankles, I'm walking around the house with them, let them go with our hands wrapped around their feet, telling them, don't go. Even their relatives who are in hell right now, they're crying out to us. Go. Tell them. Don't let them come to this place of torment, which I am in right now, where I have no relief, not even a drop of water from my tongue. As we see in Luke 16. There's many who go that way. I wish, I wish we could switch this around. I do think this is a definitive statement that from the Lord Jesus Christ, that that's, he's saying that's the way it's going to be in the very end. I wish we could switch around, but I'm going to do everything I can to make sure it's, that that many, as small amount as possible, small amount as possible. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way. Now we have a different word now. Difficult is the way. So, once you walk in through this gate, it's narrow. Jesus is the only way. You walk through the gate. Now you have a way. It's not over. You don't walk through the gate and, ah, I'm here. There's a way to walk. And it's a difficult walk. This word could also be translated as... uh, Trouble, it's a troubled walk, afflicting, afflicting walk, a suffering walk, a compressed walk, a, con, uh, constr- a construed walk. It's compressed, it's narrow, it's, it's affliction, there's suffering, there's trouble. It's not easy. So if you think in your heart and mind, well, Christianity is easy, I don't think you have the Christianity of the Bible if your Christian walk is easy, maybe there's something wrong with your Christian walk. That's what the Bible says. It's a difficult way. And that's why, and that's precisely why only a few will find it. It's a difficult way. And only a few will stay on it. Now we go to the the parable of of the sower. So Matthew chapter 13 in verse 18, we have Jesus explaining uh, the parable of the ground. That's what I would call it, parable of the ground. It says, therefore, hear the parable of the, of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. And he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation, there's that word again, or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received the seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he received the seed on the good ground, is he who hears the word understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty. Some 30. So, this difficult, this trouble, this afflicted way, this suffering way, some people are going to take part in this suffering, as Jesus says here. I guess he does call it the parable of the Lord, doesn't he, in verse 18. Uh, people who are on this difficult way, they're going to depart from the faith. The good seed of the Word of God will be choked out in their lives, because instead of digging their roots deeper into God, they leave the root system the way it is, and they wither away. They wither away. So we need to be careful about that. The trouble in a flippening way. Um, Acts 14, verses 19-22, to 22, we see this prayer. The Apostle Paul is offering up. This is the Apostle Paul offering it up. In Acts fourteen, and start verse nineteen. We'll see what happened to Paul first, and then we'll see what, what was said. So then, the Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went to the city. The next day, he departed with Barnabas to Derbe, and when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, and returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, very important saying here, We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Through many difficulties, through many sufferings, through much trouble, enter the kingdom of God. And that's an exhortation to the saints, so and that's one I want to give you as well. There will be trouble. Expect them. Don't hope for them, of course. But expect them. They're going to happen. Because of the way we are compared to our place with the world, now I want to just look at one more thing here with uh, with, with this narrow way and broad way. I want to look at look at Luke 13, which is his. Uh, this may be a different time Jesus said this. It may be the same time. I can't really remember. I, I think it may be a different time actually. Um, he said the same thing many different times throughout the gospel. He said different things many different times. Uh, so Luke chapter 13, and. Uh, Verse 23. Very uh, interesting question the disciples asked him here. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. But once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where you are from, then you'll begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in, in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you are from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. So in contrast to what we see in Matthew 7, which is a part of Matthew 7 that going to get to today, this says, I don't know you. Not I never knew you. I do not know you. But I want to focus on that first word in verse 24 here. Stride. The Greek word is agonizomai. What English word do you think we get from that?
2: Agonize.
0: Agonize. This is an agonizing journey, this Christian faith. You must agonize over it. Agonize in prayer. Agonize against the flesh, the world, and the devil. Agonize against temptation. Agonize around the open air. Preaching the gospel. Sharing the gospel with people. Agonizing. Being in the world, but not of the world. Not well, going to be a pleasant journey, but this is the the path marked out for those who choose it—the narrow path. And then we see in verse fifteen, it says, "Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves." So, false teachers, false prophets. They look like sheep, at least on the outside. But inwardly, they are raving wolves. How dangerous that is for the body of Christ. And I think sometimes God allows this, these false prophets. Sometimes he may even send the false prophets. He allows them to purify the church. To see who's really going to seek Him after Him in His Word and not depend upon man to teach them what He says and what He expects of them. Don't ever exalt any man. Period. You are to know the Word of God for yourself. Now, for all you know, I'm going become a false teacher in the future. What are you going to do then if you exalted me? Don't ever do that. So, They look like sheep. Just like it says, uh, Paul said, I can't remember where it says, but he said that it doesn't surprise you that the fallen angels come as angels of light. If they come as angels of light, why should it surprise you that the false teachers come as ministers of righteousness? I've said this many times, but it's very true that people who are false teachers, they have a lot of good to say. And there's a little bit of poison that'll kill you. You need to be aware of that. They're raving wolves inwardly. You will know them by their fruit. They always expose themselves. Eventually, they will show themselves for what they are. And by the fruit doesn't mean that people are getting saved or not getting saved. That's not what it means here. It means the fruit of their life. You'll see it eventually. You see them spending money on things like, you know, we've got a little clip of a creflo dollar not too long ago and things he said. If people don't get shocked at him exalting him as their teacher from that, I think they might be beyond hope. He showed his fruit. Many of him have showed his fruit. I remember one clip he said, I wish I had a Holy Ghost machine. I said, shoot him, and kill him. How about people who are coming into his ministry? He's shown his fruit. You know, people have done uh, lots of different studies and, and uh They've taken hidden cameras into these different ministries, and you see their fruit, what they are behind—not what they are on TV, but they are behind closed doors. And you see what they are, they, and you'll know them by their fruits. And um, you know, I think this—this this is a good principle here to see. Because some people, we have—we've talked recently about this issue with with Calvin and how he he murdered many different people. He had them put to death—not with his own hands, but he threw the justice system. Or the injustice system in Geneva, he was putting people, having them put to death because they didn't agree with his doctrine. And people say, well, just because Calvin did did these does not necessarily mean that his teachings are wrong. But I think what we find right here in this, that when someone shows the fruit of that, and they are the author, no one before this person believed or taught these things exactly like he's teaching them, then that shows you their doctrine, their teachings. If their fruit of their life is horrible, it's got to tell you something about their teachings too. Now it doesn't mean that just because Calvin believed in the Trinity that we reject the Trinity. He believed in some things that were good. He believed in a lot of bad things, things that originated with him. He even Augustine didn't originate some of the things that he talked about. So that you got to look at their. Pre- you can't just take their doctrine and say, "Well, they're doing good things. Look, they're helping people in Africa. They went to a crusade. So they're." They put a video camera there. Look, I'm helping people in Africa. And these people who have AIDS. And they say, oh, he's doing such good stuff. Well, look at the rest of their life. Just because they do some good does not mean you should be following them or listening to them. So you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorns or figs from thistles? This is common sense. You don't go to an orange tree and pick apples, you don't go to an apple tree and pick oranges. You don't go to a thorn bush and pick grapes. You get stuck by a thorn bush and you get cut up all over it. Uh, You don't go to a poison ivy bush and pick uh, uh, you know, lemons, <laughs> whatever. Uh, you get poison ivy from it. And we've had some experience with that in our fellowship. But different things have their purposes, and they show at the root of them what they really are. Apples, apple trees produce apples naturally. False teachers produce bad fruit. Naturally. It comes from their heart. They may be able to fake you. Fake you out for a little while. Get you thinking they're really this way. But eventually, eventually, it'll come out. It'll come out. And so verse 17 says, Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. So, Some people would look at these these verses here and think that, well, you're either a good tree or a bad tree involuntarily. It's just what you are. And from that, naturally, you produce that. But I want to give you some words with Jesus in Matthew chapter 12. And we'll see if we're a good tree or a bad tree involuntarily or voluntarily, by choice. We see in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, Jesus speaking here. Either make the tree good, and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad, and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. So it comes to you being a good tree or a bad tree. Is it God's fault if you're a bad tree, or your fault if you're a bad tree? It's your fault if you're a bad tree. And if you're a good tree, of course all the glory belongs to God. But who has made the choice to be a good tree? God make the choice for you? Or have you made the choice? Who's God putting the responsibility on here? To make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad? He's putting it upon you. <coughs> and in verse 34, it says, Brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So he's speaking to these people who are evil trees. They are bad trees. Therefore, they're producing bad fruit. They're brood of vipers. For out of the abundance of the, mouth, uh, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil things. So, are there good men in the world? Are there good men in the world? Is he speaking about an imaginary person here? Oh. So there are righteous men in the world. There are good men in the world. Now, when he says good here, obviously he's not not ignorant to the fact that every man has sinned. So no one is good in that sense. In that sense, only God is good, according to Jesus. Speaking to the young Mitch Rung, Rung, Rung Ruler there. Uh, no one's good but God. So, in that sense, never done evil. No man is good. No one is good. But in the sense that what are you living continually right now? What is your tree right now like? What is your fruit right now like? There are good men. it's awful evil men. It's awful evil men. But you decide whether you're going to be evil or whether you're going to be good. In verse 36, well, I say to you, every idle word that men speak will be given account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words will be justified, and by your words will be condemned. So, important. And then he say, and it says in, in verse 19 every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. So, the bad trees are cut down and thrown into the fire. The good trees will be in the Lord's vineyard forever and ever. Okay, so to sum up here, um, when Jesus says ask and seek and knock, it's not unconditional. You're going to receive it no matter what. There's, conditionals to, there's conditions to prayer. The conditions are, are asking, seeking, not asking amiss, or asking with the wrong motive, not regarding iniquity in your heart. And we can have confidence when we come in that state before the throne of God. We can have confidence that He will hear us and that He will answer. We know that there's a narrow way and a broad way. The broad way is accept just many people who want to go. There's many people who choose to go and can accept it. There's also a narrow, a difficult, a troubled, an afflicted way. And only a few find it. It's a way you must strive, agonize over to get into it. There's no sitting back and relaxing in your retirement chair, rocking back and forth on the ports of Christianity. A that kind of Christian Christians agonize it's difficult that's the way God intended it to be because then those who really really want it will be the ones who get it in the end alright All right, does anyone have any uh, questions uh, comments Objections, things they want to add.
4: desires of the heart. You know, I used to think of that as just one fold. You know, where right. if I delight in the Lord, then he's automatically going to give me whatever I want. Right. You know, but then someone shared with me that the other side of it is that maybe the Lord just wants you to focus on delighting in him, and then he will give you the desires of your heart, which are his desires. Right. Like, you know, he'll change the desires of our heart as we delight in him. And then, you know, because I can look back at the things that I used to want for myself and the things that I now desire are totally opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I never would have desired to go share the gospel before I was saved. Right. You know, but now I do. And it's, it's proof that there's something that the Lord is, you know, putting in me to
3: desire. I can confirm that, because the Lord showed me the very same thing. I started thinking the way that that a lot of, that's how the some cynical churches teach, that if you have this desire within you and you're good enough, God will give it to you. But is it really? Is that is it saying what you said? In other words, it's Him that puts the desire in your heart. It's not you know just the opposite way around.
4: Yeah.
3: And uh, I, I I I agree with you totally. On that. And then as we
4: grow in our love for the Lord, His desire that He puts on our heart is in Him more, you
0: know, so. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, so the condition for God giving you desires to your heart is you to delight yourself in Him. Mm-hmm. If you're doing that, your desires will be the same as His. The same practice Him. And then you will
1: receive from Him because that's what He wanted you to have in the first place. Yeah, there was a testimony of that just, just uh, yesterday. It, oh, yeah. Well, we prayer. Prayer. Anita, prayer. Prayer. I think uh, the Lord must have gave you that mm-hmm. because to...
4: We have been praying about those steps There were yes. like these yes. 20,000 oh. oh. pound uh-huh. yeah. 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 steps Or 2,000 pound steps out there Anita 2,600 pound steps 2,600, okay Anita had shared with me She said, um, Sister, we need to pray That when he takes those to the dump The dump will be able to use those steps I said, it. okay, well, yeah. I'm going to pray that too because otherwise
5: it's going to be really expensive to drop those off there, you know. So It was supposed to be $56.22. And he said, I'll take it off your hands for 20 bucks because I can use it in my creek to
1: reroute my <laughs> creek. Oh. There you go. So That's when he shared that, I thought, I thought that it must have been Nita delighting herself in the Lord, the Lord giving her that desire to pray, pray. you know. Pray. She's pray. giving her the prayer to pray and he's got the answer on the way. That's mm-hmm. great. He, the, the man's going to use it. That's great. So yes. that's a perfect example of that I Yeah. I wish they try. We're so y- y'all should have so brought the steps, the steps
3: over to my house. They'll really? pick no. them up for free. I don't think
2: you get them down
1: your hill, man. <laughs> I mean, they picked
3: up a freezer that was like 10 feet long and this feet, I mean, Of course, it didn't weigh 2,600 pounds. But they, they fashioned themselves in their services. They'll pick up anything you put out there as part of your monthly service, which Can is 13. <laughs> Huh? They get that, so Oh,
2: do you? Oh, touch. I'm sure they <laughs> would. Now, how, how did you get it
5: off the trailer, though? The uh, this big Komatsu and this thing is about uh, two stories high. This, this front end motor you know, Oh, okay. He took it off. Okay. And he goes to the front of the trailer and Just he grabs it the front off. and dragged it off, okay. and it didn't come off the first time. It was like, you know, leaning this way, going that way. And he Finally, got it rolled over, yeah. and then he had to grab it again, roll it again.
3: I wouldn't pick it up, I'm sure they, they wouldn't be able to get
0: oh, it out. No. No, no, yeah, I, 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 I didn't know you had done it and I was thinking to myself last night, said, man, we should take a sledgehammer and just, like, break them into small pieces and then you can actually get it off of
5: there. Well, I've had that thought off. also, yeah. but 2,600 pounds of breaking, yeah. that's 2,600 pound chunks. Yeah. Or 52, 50 pound chunks. Right. 52, 50 pound chunks. Right. That's a lot of moving stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Or 25 hundred and four yeah. twenty-five pound chunks. And twenty-five pounds about as much as I want to handle. Right. You know, I am a boy there, he Daniel handles fifty pounds and Jenna handles fifty pounds pretty pretty well, but me, twenty-five pounds about it I want to I want to handle. Sometimes right. I have to that, but. Right. anyway. we well, praise the Lord for that answer prayer. Hey. Yeah.
1: I had a that kind of relate to that? I would the think so. That kind of relates to that?
0: Yeah, I think it all relates to abiding in Him too, like in John 15 1-6. Abiding in Him produces much fruit. Uh, but abiding in Him is a moment by moment thing. It's not a
1: okay,
0: I'm abiding in Him, I'm stuck abiding in Him now. You know, so if you're abiding in Him, that mean, that that would equate to being born of God, which would equate to being a good tree. Uh, now for, since being a becoming a Christian, there's been times in life that I've been a bad tree. And I wasn't producing good fruit. I was back to so them living in sin. And if I would have died in that state, I would have went to hell. I would have been cast into the lake of fire with the rest of the bad trees. You know, so this, this, like I said, this good tree, bad tree thing is not an involuntary thing. It's a voluntary thing. It's a choice you make. And it's not only a one-time choice. You know, this is this is one of the worst things you can tell a, a new believer. If you're a Christian, you're good to go. And I think it's a one-time choice they made sometime in the past. Now they're okay the rest of their lives. When really, what they really need to hear, it's an everyday choice. Yeah. Not only everyday, but many times each day. Yeah. You need to abide in Christ. Remain in Him. You'll produce much fruit. For without Him, you can do nothing.
4: Yes. But with
0: Him, all things are possible.
4: Things are possible. That's, um, that's, there there would be no reason for Him to tell us to pick up our cross and follow daily. Him daily. Right. If that weren't the case. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah, pick up our cross, deny ourselves.
4: Yeah, daily. Paul said, "I died daily." Not once, but daily. Yeah.
5: Yeah. <laughs> First John chapter three verse ten says, "In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest, or shown. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. And love being the command, both supremely for God and in love our neighbors ourselves. If we're sinning against our brothers and sisters, whether in in the body or adamic brothers and sisters, if you will." Uh, then we're not loving them, and we're
1: not loving God. Right.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that, that verse. There's there's times earlier in my uh, walk with the Lord that reading through First John three that that verse kind of I get stuck on that verse where it's like, being right. wow, God does not sin, okay. and this, remains in, but there's the remains part. Deceit
0: is the word of God, the parable of sower.
1: just read it. For deceit remains in it. I didn't understand the deceit there. You know, it has this hope of impurifies so.
0: the sin. That's right. Now, the, the Calvinists, just kind of give me a little perspective here, will say that the sinning that, that you can't do mm-hmm. is practicing sin. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that means that you're going to stay safe. The they think they'll, use, they'll use that verse as a promoting perseverance to the saints. They'll say, listen, look, the seed remains in him. You can't sin. Right. You can't practice sin, they would say. So practice. if anyone's practicing sin, they were never saved. They never had the seed of God in the first place. But the, the, the word hamartia there for sin is in the present, active, indicative, which means presently. It was indicative. If there's any active sin in your life,
1: then you're, you're practicing sin. So if you, whoever has been born
0: of God does not presently sin right if you're presently yeah. sinning then you're not born of God mm-hmm. and the seed of God is not in you well the seed of God's in you and you're born of God you're abiding him born of God's synonymous of being abiding him it's synonymous with being a good tree then you're living a holy life but again you're
1: not but then again you're not born again and again and
0: again and again and again no no that, 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 I don't okay. think the born of God here is talking about being uh, the, the born again experience you had the okay. first time. See, that's born. how I
1: always I, w- I, w- I kind of related that in the past. You right. know, okay, born born again was not sin. Okay, right. wow. <laughs> yeah. so then yeah. I'd have to be born again and again if I had sin. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think so, born again only happens once. Right.
0: Okay, you're born again. And then there's uh, your lifespan you live, which I would call a period of probation. Mm-hmm. A.W. Tozer uses that term as well, doctrine of probation. And then at the very end, there's the final salvation. You have initial salvation. yes, final salvation which is if you persevere to the end. Mm-hmm. You shall be saved. Right. So that's the final salvation. But in between this period of probation or a period of testing, there's many times throughout that, like say, it's 50 years. I got saved when I was 19. It would be 69, 50 years for me. Um, then the there those 50 years. There many times where I'm in danger of losing my final salvation if I die in my sin. But it isn't every time I've sinned since become a Christian, I've lost my salvation and I've gained it again. I've lost it and I've gained it again. I was born again, I've got to be born again and again and again and again. And that's just really a misunderstanding of what, that, what born again means. You're born from above one time. Uh, but showing that you're born of God, showing that you're abiding in Him, that you're a good tree, is a matter of showing it through your works and through the way you're living your life. But the Calvinist ones, again, we go back to this practicing thing. And they would say, "Well, this this practicing means you're only doing you're not doing it so many times per week." And, and you will ask them, well, "What's the number?" They can't give you a number. And I say, "Well, we don't know what the, what practicing means, but God knows what it means, you know. So if, if you used to, you know, murder people once, you know, five times a year, you, you've cut down to four now. you have cut down to three, and then the two, and then, you know, you're not practicing as much as you used to. Um, of course, they wouldn't say they wouldn't use murder. They would use something like lust or something they think or, is a little more insignificant the in the their eyes.
1: Of the well, in five. Is- Right? Selfishness, selfishness or... Yeah, so they, Paul says that those who practice these
0: things. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. But the word practice is... does. I don't think the word practice... Practice is added in there, first of all. I don't think there's the word practice anywhere in the Greek. I haven't checked every incident, but but it'll deal with it will do is the Greek word hamartia, it's in the present active indicative. And they'll say... They'll ter- interpret it instead of saying sinning, practice sin that's so what they'll say they'll put those two words together and that's what you see like in the NESB look at the NESB uh, version of 1 John 3.9 you'll see practice in there same probably with the ESB so they'll say that but ours will you know oh, wow. if you look at practice righteousness too 1 John 3.7 doesn't mean you're only doing righteousness sometimes or doing it so often so people get this idea of practicing in their mind they think it means you're doing it so often you know that's what they think it means by that is that the NASB? This is NAS, yeah. so. so let's see. I think he even does it for verse 8, too.
1: Yeah. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him.
0: Right. What do they do for verse 8, beginning of verse 8? Uh, he who practices sin?
1: The one who practices sin is right. of the devil.
0: Yeah. That, that's, more, that's more of a, uh, that's not a literal translation there. That's more of a uh, dynamic equivalence. They're adding the word, the word practice is not in the Greek. Huh? They're taking the, the condition of the Greek word for sin here, and they're putting the word practice into the English. That's more of an interpretation than a translation. So that's the way they'll do it. They'll say, well, as long as I'm not doing this sin so much, so often, that I'm not practicing sin. And that's how they can get around it and say, well, I, I sin every day, but I guess in their minds, wound not doing the same sin every day. They're not practicing sin. But see, you, you, you can't do that. You can't do that with the Word of God. Uh, it didn't take uh, Ananias and Sapphira practicing their sin to be able to be struck down by God. It didn't take Adam and Eve, Eve practicing eating from the tree a couple times a week for God to say, You could get out of the garden. It was one sin, and that was it.
5: Mm-hmm. It, was that was it. That's true. Yeah. it also becomes very How many times did, is practicing? Yep. Is twice practicing a week, is that practicing or twenty times or were different sins, or different sins that I And they all
0: have their own arbitrary number of what it's gonna mean. You know, I I, th- I used to think that way a little bit too, and I, I thought back to when I was in high school I played football. We practiced every day. You know, five times a week. And then there was a time where you had two a day practices in the summer. You practiced two times a day, five times a week. And one in the morning, one in the afternoon. So you know, practice to different people means different things. So we can't be arbitrary about the Word of God and impose our own standard upon it. But take it what it says, and present. When something's in the present, active indicative, it just means if you know, it's indicative in your life that is presently any active sin, then you're presently actively sinning. That's what it's referring to you there. So. First John 3 is a very difficult passage to deal with
5: it's an issue.
2: I think the early church even backed up what you had to say,
0: because I think it was Clement of Rome, I was reading through a couple weeks ago, where he said, like, no one's a Christian who, except he who perseveres to the end. Right. They you're not even a Christian unless you get to the end. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. But you have to persevere to the end to be else. saved. So there's, okay. there's the initial act of justification on God's part. Mm-hmm. You've put your faith in Him. Of course, it's a repentant faith. But is isn't it if God's saying, well, you must do works for a week or so before I'll justify you. The moment you have a repentant faith, two sides of the same coin there, God justifies you. A single ground of a repentant faith. You're right with me. I'm in you of your past sins. I'm not holding them against you any longer. Now I walk in holiness before me. And so they had this period of probation. And I, when I talked through this doctrine of initial salvation final provision of probation one time in the fellowship, I gave an example of Malachi. I said he became a Christian, Let's say he listed to be 70. And there was a period of time in his 20s where he departed from the faith, was involved in all kinds of wickedness. If he would have died during those five years, he would have went to hell. But God had mercy on him, he repented, and he lived the rest of his life for God. So we have this probation, and we're all living in this, pro, we're Christians, we're all living in this probationary period right now. And uh, we're, we must persevere to the end. We must strive, we must agonize, we must
5: enter into this difficult way, enter into the narrow gate, the narrow way. How, how does uh, reprobation, or reprobation, uh, in, this, in this period of probation that you're talking about, how does reprobation come into play with this? Yeah,
0: reprobation uh, basically means that someone is beyond salvation. They're beyond hope. Everyone who's died in their sin is a reprobate. All the devils. The devil and his fallen angels, are all reprobates. There's no hope for them. Uh, and there's also a possibility someone can be a reprobate while they're still alive. Hebrews 6, 4 through 6 talks on this. That it's impossible for them to be renewed again to repentance. Okay, now I'm not the judge of who's a reprobate and who isn't. Unless God would reveal revealed to me specifically who's a reprobate and who isn't, I couldn't say that. Uh, but I have warned people in the past, who I think they're getting close in my mind by the way they're acting, I've warned, listen man, you're getting real close. You better watch yourself. Because... They're, what they're doing is they're, they've, they've heard the word of God spoken to them. Their conscience has been with searing, corrupting, defiling their conscience, pushing it aside, and saying, no, God, no, God, no, God. And after a while, God's giving all the illumination. He's done everything he can do to them. He's given them all the illumination he can give, and they reject all the illumination, or the highest point of illumination that God can give them. And what else can God do for them? If someone rejected the highest point of illumination of God convicting them, And they rejected, There's nothing else that can be done for them. That's why the devil and his angels automatically automatically because they were in God's presence. The devil was basically his worship leader. If you reject
5: God at that point, what else can God do for you? Nothing else he can do for you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You mentioned final salvation. This came up a couple of questions. It's kind of ironic. First came from Tina and then from one of the children. Can we sin in heaven? and if we have final salvation uh, at the uh, even seat of Christ and we're entering into this rest and we still have free will in heaven, uh, I think I know what you're going to say, but I'm going to let you elaborate on that if you would. Do we have free will in heaven? Could we still sin?
0: Yes, we have free will in heaven. Uh, no, we can't sin. Why? Well, because we've been tested and tried so much here on earth through temptation the things we've gone through, put through the fire. God knows that by the end, we're out of the presence of temptation now. We're not going to turn back and go back to our sin. And we'll be in the glory of Jesus. I mean, we'll, we'll be in the presence of God. We'll be in the of God. So but that, that doesn't make us not sin. Right. But I think that's more of the reason why we have this probationary period here on earth. To
1: prove ourselves. We're going through testing and trying now. And like Job said, after I've been tried, I'll come forth as gold. Yes. So. yes.
0: And so this, this, this process we go, the difficult way we on is necessary. Make us fit for the kingdom of heaven. Because a sinner is just going to mess up heaven. Mm-hmm. Also never do it. Mess up heaven.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. Who can ascend the holy hill? John was talking last week or week before. He has clean hands and a pure heart. So, you must let the work take its place. You must let it happen in our lives. That's the only way you can be fit for the kingdom of heaven. So let it happen. And it's painful sometimes. You know when you know, I know gold has no feelings, but when gold has dross in it and it's put into the fire and it becomes liquid gold, and this dross is coming to the surface, you're scooping it off and getting it out. You know gold doesn't have feelings, but to be in fire doesn't feel good. To be purged and to be cleansed and to be—you got a little something here. You know, I was—I was, uh, may not be the very the it, but I was—I was brushing Emily's hair today. Yeah, I brush my daughter's hair sometimes. And uh, they, they like it most times, uh, but uh, her hair was pretty snarling this time. And i uh, <coughs> pulling it out, you know, pulling the star, I'm trying to hold on as best I can to make it as painless as possible for her. And go to the next one, I start at the bottom, and they kind of work my way up, and but it's still painful for her. But she knows the finished product's going to be a lot better than what it, she had, This you know, this rat nest, bird nest back there. You can, a bird can nest back there and she wouldn't even know it, wouldn't bother her. You know, so I'm just kind of working it out as much as I can. Of course, I put conditioner in her hair when she's taking a bath. But, you know, she must persevere to the end through this pain.
2: They get these snarls
0: out. And the finished product is her, her beautiful hair. She's, she's turned, she turned her head there for you. And she likes it when her hair is fine. You don't like it when you're getting brushed, do you? It hurts sometimes, doesn't it?
1: It's not the same thing as with Christian <laughs> life. It hurts sometimes. Yeah let go of things. The Lord, the picture would be your picture of the
0: Father. And he's trying to do it as gently as possible, because he he loves you. And, uh, you know, people use Hebrews 12, 11. You know, if if you're a legitimate child, you'll be disciplined. That doesn't necessarily mean he's punishing you. Discipline can mean discipleship, discipleship, Mm -hmm. purging, cleansing. Mm -hmm. You know, Romans 8 says, conformed to the image of his son. You see, imagine a potter pushing the clay together, and it's kind of hard in some spots, but he's trying to mold it, to make it and what he wants it to be, a vessel of honor. So it's not always pleasant to go through these things, uh, but it, it must take place so we can become what God wants us to be, that Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. So, but maybe sometimes, I, I think the only people who have heard me teach on the initial salvation, the final salvation, of probation was John and his family. That was all the way back to the faith I thought on that.
2: Yeah.
0: Maybe I'll teach it through it one time, sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. There's lots of scriptures to back it up. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of scriptures for it. So, a very important thing to get down. People understand this because it really helps to fight against this whole losing your salvation God mm-hmm. issue, too.